but this guy just gets so much heat. And then I looked into it and it's like, okay, well, he, he kills all these sharks, but he also tags more sharks than anyone on the planet. He also, you know, he kills a sailfish now and then, but he hates tournament fishing. And, and he, he, um, when he does kill these sharks, he takes them to the homeless shelter. And I'm like this, and, and, and he's just this, seems like this grumpy old cuss. That was Tom Rowland talking about his most popular podcast episodes with the shark guy. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Tom Rowan from the Saltwater Experience TV show and a bunch of other great stuff, including a podcast. And the guy behind Waypoint is here to shed some light on his story. Tom tells us how he transitioned from a trout guide to saltwater and then over to uh, conventional uh, angling. We also find out what uh, one of Tom's guests, Iron Maiden, uh, had uh, with fishing. We, we hear a cool little story there. So, um, before we get started, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Angler's Coffee roasts a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. And I'm one of those anglers who's been loving Angler's Coffee. Great tasting, robust, and good to go. They just released a new subscription program, and you can get 20% off this box and all products at anglerscoffee.com. Just use the coupon code WETFLYSWING at checkout to get 20% off of great coffee today. That's anglerscoffee.com. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that are second to none in quality and can be customized for that little extra touch. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net today. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly to get started right now. So without further ado, here's Tom Rowan from TomRowanPodcast.com. How's it going, Tom? It's going well. How are you? Good, good. I'm glad we got, uh, you know, uh, in the background, we got a little technical difficulties nobody had to uh, listen to. So we're we're firing this up right away with uh, <laughs> a launch into, um, you know, getting into your, your background. You've got a ton of stuff going on. Obviously, your brand, uh, you know, is seems like it's pretty huge out there. But talk about how you first got into fly fishing. Yeah, um, fly fishing for me started when I was a... Uh, pretty lost college student. I didn't really have much direction. I was having trouble in college. I wasn't really finding anything that interested me that much. And um, one summer, I guess it was my second year there, I decided to try something different. And I got a job in Yellowstone National Park, which turned out to be a, a real world changer, life changer for me. Um, I went out there. I did. I, I Honestly, I was the greenest you could possibly be. I had been to the Rocky Mountains one time when I was eight years old, and that was Colorado. I had never set foot in Yellowstone National Park. I had no idea what was awaiting me out there, and I was truly blown away. It was it was amazing <laughs> and um, really opened my eyes to a lot of things. I had a, a really what some might consider a crappy job. I thought it was a great job. It was a maid 
at Yellow's, at uh, Lake Hotel, and um, they would give you 16 rooms to clean. And when you were done, they would be inspected. And if you did a good enough job, they would let you go if you wanted to. And <clears throat> if you didn't do a good enough job, you had to go back and do them over again. But I got to where I could do 16 rooms in about three and a half, four hours. Oh, wow. And then the Yellowstone River was right down the road. And it was the heyday of the Yellowstone River. I mean, it was amazing. The the cutthroat fishing there was was remarkable. And so I started as bad as I was. I was able to catch a couple of fish, and um, man, that got me going. And the next year, I went to a guide school in Jackson, Wyoming, called the Western River Rivers Professional Guide School. It was hosted by Bressler Outfitters, and Joe Bressler was a second-generation outfitter out of Jackson Hole. His dad was Vern Bressler, who started the Orvis Endorsed Guide Program. And um, they had just opened the Orvis store in, uh, or they were in the process of opening the Orvis store in Jackson Hole. And so this was... Um, you know, a, a while ago, it was before River Runs Through It came out. It um, it was really before fly fishing had, you know, a surge in popularity. That happened very shortly after. But I got in there and for some reason, Joe gave me a job because I had to be the worst one in the guide school. <laughs> Physically, I could do lots of stuff. Like I could row the boat and and back trailers and do do that kind of stuff before I showed up. But I really, I had, I had never been on a guided trip. Well, maybe one trip in, in Northern Saskatchewan. My dad took me on a graduation trip up there. We went pike fishing and it wasn't much of a guided trip. The, the guide, I don't think the guide said a word to us. I mean, there was a language barrier obviously, but I don't think that he said a word to us all, all week. And um, so I really didn't know anything about guiding. I didn't know anything about, um, the 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 entertainment business as far as it goes with being a fishing guide and 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 that's what it is i mean you have to entertain your people and uh you know most days you you don't come back with a lifetime pr catch and uh but every day you can come back and have somebody think that they just had the best day they've ever had in their in their whole life and they just have to come back and that was kind of the the kind of model that was set before me by, by Vern Bressler, who was a hard ass. Hmm. He was a hard ass. And, and, uh, he made sure that, um, you know, like there were rules set forth right away. Like the guy never fishes. And I was like, Oh man, kind of sucks. I came out here to, to fit fish and, you know, now I'm going to guide and, and he just was so firm about that. He said, if I ever hear about one of my guides with a with a rod in their hand during the guided trip, that'll be it. You'll be huh. out of here. And uh, he went further just to say, you know, after he got to know you and would even spend any time with you, uh, that, you know, all it takes is for, for you to throw over there and catch one nice fish and you ruin the trip for the whole, yeah. you know, they're like, well, I didn't catch anything, but the guide caught a huge <laughs> one. And he said, that's just, that's just, it, it, it will not be tolerated around here. So that was a rule set forth right away that you just never fished. You never touched the rod when you were on a guided trip and everything was about the customer. And he was a real, he was a real hard ass, but he, he really knew how to keep people happy. 
He knew how to give them that Western hospitality that, you know, you cooked for them, you, you took care of them, you showed them this experience. If they didn't catch a lot of fish, they were going to have a great time and they were going to, there was, there was no excuse. It, if, there, if they had a bad time, it wasn't going to be because they didn't like their guide. And that turned out to be the best training that I could have ever had from someone like him and his son, Joe, which was the same. Joe wasn't quite as much of a hard ass as Vern, but uh, he was, he, he liked, you know, quality. And yeah. um, there were some really good guides there. There was um, Bill Happerset who I could look to and, and see what a, what a real professional guide looked like. And Chris Patterson was a guy that was raising a family and doing that. And Ralph Leibach and, and then, you know, this, this guide school became, pretty good for Joe. And, uh, he got a couple of, you know, good guides out of that. Um, uh, I was one of the bad guides he got out of that, but he got Christy ball and he got Lorianne Murphy mm -hmm. and, uh, well, Lorianne didn't actually go to the guide school, but she started working there later. And then there was like this whole little group of, of younger, really excited guides, Matson Rogers, who owns, uh, anglers West and immigrant. He came through there and, Man, so many. Um, Fletcher White, uh, Pete Erickson, yep. just so many of these guys worked for that outfit, and uh, and and it was just a great environment. Um, but that wasn't really enough. I would do that, and I would go back to college, and and then I just wanted to fish year round, and I wasn't that interested in what I was hearing the the older guides say they did in the wintertime. They'd either build houses or they were snowmobile guides or one guy was a was a hunting guide, but the season was so short. I was like, man, there's got to be a way that I could fish all year round. And um, there was a connection to the Cayman Islands and other lots of other Jackson Hole guides would go down to the to the Caymans, including Carter Andrews and Bucky Buckenroth. Those guys went down there. Um, uh, Burley Fox went down there. And they would do that in the wintertime. And I went down with my uh, soon-to-be wife, and it just didn't look like the Cayman Islands was going to be a, a place, a good place for us. It was very, very, very rural. Like, there was one telephone on the island. There was one truck. This is Little Cayman, not Grand Cayman. And, uh, and there was this little place called the uh, Southern Cross Club, and it's still there. And, you know, the fishing is very limited, um, but it is a great place for, for guides to get started and get some experience in saltwater. And I was considered for that and went down to check it out and um, just decided that wasn't going to be, that wasn't going to work. And um, on the way back, we stopped by Key West and I was like, well, what? why are we going to this little tiny island in the middle of the ocean when we got this island right here that's part of the United States and it's got, you know, like this isn't, you know, like a, that far away. Like, I mean, you could, you could drive here. <laughs> and uh, so I just kind of thought maybe that would be a good, good uh, opportunity. And Simon Becker had been out to, um, to Wyoming and fished with us out there. So we went and visited him and, and uh, we hit it off pretty good. And and Simon, um, it just kind of was a good opportunity because um, his roommate, Michael Pollock, what, who's also a Western trout guide, um, was going to move out. 
And he was like, well, I need somebody to live here. And it was just like this perfect timing, you know? <laughs> and so I ended up uh, starting to live with Simon down there. And then I'd go back to the West for the summer times and did that for a few years before just kind of giving it up, giving up the West for, for the, the saltwater. And the only reason really for that, I love the West and love trout fishing, but it's just such a short season. You know, mm. you just, it's hard to, it's hard to make a living and you're working for someone out there. So you're getting paid, uh, you know, a fraction of what the trip cost is in the, in the keys. I was owning my own business. I was able to take home everything, even though there's more expenses, there was, there's also a 365 day season there. And so you can end up working a lot more and, and, uh, you know, as I started getting more serious about, uh, my wife, um, we would, we, we decided we were going to get married and she wasn't my wife at the time, but uh, that was one, that was one thing that she wanted. She was like, you know, we can, we can go out West. We can live out there. That's fine. I love it out there. Or we can live down in Key West, but I'd really like to just live in one place yep. and get, stop this nomadic lifestyle. <laughs> and, uh, that was, that was fine. I was okay with that. And so the, the logical choice was Key West. There you go. There you go. And, and um, you know, there's a bunch of different, um, you know, tangents and things we can go down. I think I want to keep it on because I'm really interested in the podcasting and the saltwater experience and everything. I'm, I'm curious. So I, I know a little bit of your background. You, you obviously worked your, worked your butt off guiding um, probably as hard as anybody to, to build a, you know, a, a company there, but, um, you know, how do you take it into the whole thing you have going now? Maybe, maybe explain a little bit of what you do now. You know, you have the Tom Rowland podcast, you've got saltwater experience. Just, just describe somebody who doesn't know you at all. What, what do you do with all your kind of your online stuff? And are you still guiding? Well, if I, I don't really guide now, I would take sponsors fishing and, and some other people will do some contests and stuff that, that, that um, we might do some guiding like that. I mean, I'm still licensed and everything, but uh, by no means am I fishing every day like I used to. So if someone were to find me right now, they would see that I've had a television show on TV for for the last uh, 18 years, I think. Saltwater Experience is the name of that show. And um, that show is about uh, basically inshore saltwater fishing in the Florida Keys primarily. And, um, and that show has been on... ESPN2, it's been on um, uh, the Discovery Channel now, on uh, Versus. I mean, we've hopped all these different networks because they keep changing their opinion about the outdoor programming. ESPN was a wonderful place for outdoor programming, and mm -hmm. then they just stopped doing it. Hmm. And then uh, so we moved over to uh, what was OLN, then turned to Versus, then turned to NBC, which uh, NBC Sports and we've been on all of those channels. And um, then the you have the 24-hour kind of outdoor channels like Pursuit and Sportsman's and Outdoor Channel. So we still are on Sportsman's Channel. And uh, then now on Discovery Channel replaces um, NBC Sports. So there's been a lot of network changes over the years, but but people kind of follow the show. And, and um, so if it, that would be what I would be mostly known for, I yeah. guess, saltwater experience. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, well, I guess it's been three, three years ago. I, I just kind of was interested in the podcast world. I thought that, I thought that there was a lot that could be done in the fishing space. And, and really I almost looked at it like kind of like selfishly, like 
this would be an opportunity for me to talk to people that I want to talk to, like yeah. and and in in fishing and hunting and outdoors and fitness and in anything like leadership. Um, it, it gives me an opportunity and an excuse to seek out those people, whether they be authors or or some sort of leader or some sort of Instagram. Um, influencer or someone that is doing something kind of cool that I'm pretty interested in. And that's honestly, that's where the podcast started. Like just kind of selfishly, like I thought, yeah. well, if I'm interested in these people, then there's a chance that other people might be interested in them. And, and it, it's been great. I mean, the response from the podcast has really blown me away. <laughs> and I think part of that is that, you know, for the show has been going for 18 years, but we didn't have the method of communication that we do today. Like if, I mean, we used to put a phone number on the, on the, uh, on the TV show and there would be an answering machine and, <laughs> you know, people would, would try to book trips or, or call and, but there wasn't any place where somebody could just ask you a question. There wasn't any place where they could see kind of what your life looks like. Yeah. And, um, and we have all that today. And so that obviously, lends itself to, um, you know, more communication with the people that are watching and, and more feedback. And the, uh, the podcast has gotten a tremendous amount of feedback. Um, and I've been able to, to have some really amazing guests on. It's been, been great, but that all is part of this other company that I own called Waypoint TV or I own part of. And, um, Waypoint TV is a, is kind of a new generation network really whatever was newspapers is now blogs whatever was um you know television conventional television shows is now streaming everything that was um you know once radio is now podcasts and yep. so waypoint brings all of that in with the attention basically on hunting and fishing there's really no other reason to be on waypoint so it brings together you know outdoorsmen um and uh so that's that's kind of my, my other thing, but um, yeah. So those those are the three. So you've kind of got the three. Well, you've got the the saltwater experience, which has been going forever, and I've got a few questions on that, and then obviously the podcasting, which I'm I've been hot on, you know, helping people get into podcasting as well, and you know, and then you've got this um, the Waypoint TV, and and on the Waypoint, maybe we just quickly start there. Uh, so the shows, you got a number of different shows there. Can you just talk, I mean, how many shows do you have and, and then how do you choose or, or how has that process worked at this? Is it kind of like a, a network? Yeah, it's, it's very much like a network that, you know, we come from, we don't come from the, from the YouTube background. We come from the television background. So, um, it was kind of built more like a Netflix than a YouTube. Um, and it kind of, because we can speak the television language, that's what we do for a living. Those were the first people that we that we went to and and offered this this platform, and um, it was pretty well received. I think there's I think there's probably about eighty shows, eighty different producers on Waypoint now, um, both hunting and fishing, and some adventure sports, kayakers, and stuff like that that are on there as well. But it's it's really hunting and fishing based. And, um, those shows are, are selected based upon their quality and, and, um, and, and really a, a group of people that are, that are kind of running out of options, um, as, 
as this whole landscape changes, because that's exactly what's happening. The landscape is changing yep. completely. And people are cutting their cable. There's no doubt that people want to watch content, but they want to watch it differently than it has been presented to them. Young people don't have cable. They're never going to subscribe to cable. They yep. think it's super stupid. Yep. And, um, and so that's where Waypoint came in of, well, if those people are cutting their cable, where are they going? They're not cutting their cable because they don't want to watch TV anymore. They want to watch TV. They just want to watch it when they want, where they want, on the device they want. And yeah. so it basically kind of started like that. <laughs> I was trying to be everywhere at once. So I would, I would upload Saltwater Experience to YouTube and Vimeo and um, we would start an Instagram and we'd start Facebook page. We did, we did everything. And then if a sponsor came to us and was like, well, how, how's it going? We, it would take days to go back through and look at the different posts and see how many people liked it or viewed it or, or whatever. And then we'd have to get on um, Roku. We'd have to get on all these different platforms and try to get any stats. So mm -hmm. the very, very beginning of, of, uh, waypoint was, you know, the idea that you could upload something in one place and that it would go everywhere, and you would have a you would have a a dashboard where you could see how it was doing in one place. Huh. And so, if someone asked you how, you know, how many times their commercial ran or or how many times the show was watched, you could tell them within in thirty seconds. You know, you you tell them right away, and um, that's how it started. Now it's grown. Because since we started Waypoint, there there have been these incredible uh, surges in technology. And as people cut their cable, other people see this too. Like people way bigger than us, like Samsung TV, they see that people are cutting their cable. So they are like, well, why can't we have a network? We own real estate in millions and millions and millions of people's homes. We have real estate in their pocket with a Samsung uh, device, yeah. a, t a phone, why don't we create a network? And that's exactly what they did. And it's free. So if you buy a Samsung TV right now, you get something called Samsung Plus TV. And there's hundreds and hundreds of channels on there for free. Movie channel, every kind of channel you could ever imagine. And it's basically like having cable. Um, and one of those channels is Waypoint. And people are watching like a lot of people are watching that uh, more than I could have ever dreamed. We did better there than we do on some of the big networks. And um, it just shows me that people are cutting their cable, exactly what the stats say, and they're watching other ways. That's one of them. There's lots of other ways that people are watching. You know, Netflix is booming, Hulu, all of yeah. that. It's all booming. And um, and people are watching and ingesting more content than ever before. That's not even to start talking about the YouTube and 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 other you know services like that. Social media is just people are spending all their time on it. So my idea was just like, how do we present outdoor content in a way that is not just for the kids? It's not just for the old people. It's just it, it's a way that. It makes it more convenient for everyone to watch what they want. And on Waypoint, we've got, we've got you know films that have been in the Fly Fishing Film Festival, and we've got shows. You got every every kind of show, offshore shows, ice fishing, uh, fly fishing, everything, anything you can imagine is on there, and and growing every day. 
And um, so it's becoming a it's becoming a a real alternative platform to to uh, like conventional television mm-hmm. and and even you know social media even. I mean, it, it's a it's certainly not going to replace that. It's something that you use with social media. That's right. You know, for a producer. That's right. That's no, that's cool. I, I didn't realize the size. And I think, you know, with Waypoint TV and, and you also have the kind of the podcast, but I, how does that connect to, I think, don't you have like the a, a podcasting network that's called Waypoint? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a Waypoint Outdoor Collective, which is a group of, of kind of like-minded podcasts, all kind of um, centered around the outdoors. We have hunting ones and fishing ones and, and even just some standard kind of outdoor ones. And, uh, you know, the idea there is that, uh, most of these podcasters, you know, you'll, you'll, you may agree. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting to ask you what you think about this, but it's, if, if you're getting, you know, most of the big podcast uh, networks are, are saying you need 50,000 downloads per episode to even sign up for their service where they're going to sell advertisement for your show so that you can just make podcasts and you listen to any of the big podcasts, you know, Rogan, or they may be even too big uh, for this, but the middle of the, uh, you know, middle ground podcasts are having their inventory sold by someone else. There's a script that comes in, they read it, and they get paid. And uh, someone else is is selling that. But they're interested in selling big numbers, like 50,000 per, per episode. So, the podcast collective brings together a whole bunch of people that don't have those numbers so that you could present a package that is interesting to someone that's looking for big numbers, but they don't want to deal with 50 different people. They want to deal with one person and they want to sign a contract that says they're going to get the, get their message in front of a certain demographic. And, um, that's what the, that's what, you know, different podcast collectives generally do is is present some sort of package where you could be across these 10 podcasts and get the numbers that you're used to getting instead of, you know, trying to go sell it. Ah, well, you know, 5,000 people listened to, to my last episode. That doesn't, I mean, for a, for a big advertiser, that doesn't even raise an eyebrow. Like, hmm, okay, yeah. keep looking, you know? So yeah, yeah gotcha. Um, gotcha. that's been, that's been pretty effective. Uh, to bring in some some different advertisers, and then then all the different shows kind of help one another uh, a little bit with technical issues and with with uh, uh, guests helping each other find and and contact guests, and then also just kind of uh, um, you know there's an Instagram page for the for the collective that promotes the different shows and what's going on there. So that all, that all helps. And then waypoint has, has an opportunity for video podcasts. So my, my podcast is all video as well as audio and it goes on waypoint TV and people actually watch it there um, as well as YouTube and other places. But um, you know, it's, it's weird to think that, that a, a podcast could end up on, some sort of OTT platform like uh, like like Roku or Apple TV or or any of those type things, plus like the Samsung Plus TVs or Pluto or or uh, uh, even Amazon, and that's that's where they are. So Waypoint yeah. is really a, a distribution platform. 
That's cool. No, this is really interesting to me. I think, um, I, I think Tom, we're going to, I've got another podcast, a couple of things. I actually have a podcast called Outdoors Online Marketing and it's, it, it kind of. Right on. Yeah. I interview expert internet marketers. I, I don't want to bore my listeners now because I've, I talk about it occasionally, but, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really interested in it and I love hearing the nerdy. Um, oh yeah. We should talk. Yeah. So we could talk more about this because I think, it, I think there are a lot of companies, especially in the fly fishing space and outdoor space that would love to hear about you to answer your question quickly. Um, you know, and that's one we can go deeper in if we can get you on that show. But, you know, I think the 50,000, I think that number is kind of, obviously the more you have the better, but I think it's going out the window. It depends on the podcast. I think if your podcast is super niched, then you have way more power because your audience is so niche. So if you get the right company, that comes in and it just fits your audience, then I think you don't need 50,000. I don't even think you need 5,000. I think you just, you know, yeah. you, you could just get the, if you have the right connect, the right fit, but yeah, if you're going for some gigantic company or like the mattresses, like Joe or whoever, you know, then you, you know, the numbers mm-hmm. game is where it's at. But um, yeah, we'll save that for another conversation. I, I love that you broke down, you know, first of all, there's so many like waypoint TV, you got 80 shows and out of those shows, I guess maybe out of the whole thing, how many, what percentage are, say, fly fishing? Um, Just random, if you think. I could probably look. Yeah. I could probably look right now. I mean, there's probably uh, a good 10 10 fly fishing kind of properties out there uh, on Waypoint. Yeah. So so the bulk is bigger. And what is, can you just name one fly, like if we wanted to check out one fly fishing show uh, or podcast, what would, what would you, what comes to mind? Yeah, let me let me get on there right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'll look at it on my uh, on my uh, a computer while I'm doing this right now. Um, so there's Fly Rod Chronicles. That's one. Um, there's a lot of inshore saltwater, like you got oh, a guiding nice. flow and flats class. They do some they do some fly fishing, but the the Fly Rod Chronicles that's a pure yep. fly fishing show. You have uh, let's see what else is on here. Yeah, it's Silver Kings. They're on there. They oh, do right. a tremendous amount of saltwater fi- fly fishing. Um, and then we have like some digital series that have fly fishing on there. Um, yeah. And the saltwater uh, experience. See. You, and then films. Like we have the black. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly we do. We do a, a, a fair bit of fly fishing uh, on the show. Not as much as I, when I first started the show, I thought it was going to be all fly fishing. Um but it, it just kind of morphed into something a little bit different. But we got the Black Fly Eyes guys. They've got their stuff on there. Kana Outdoors. Um, like that Everyone in Between movie is on there that just came out with Captains for Clean Water and John Landry. You got uh, Rock House Motion. Then you got a bunch of podcasts like Captains Collective uh, does a lot of fly fishing. Um, my podcast... Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's yeah, more, of lots of it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's but, cool. but you know, it's not, it's not all fly fishing. That's for sure. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a wide, it casts a wide net across all different types of fishing and all different types of hunting. I mean, we got some same thing goes on in the hunting. There's, there's some archery shows. Mm-hmm. There's some, you know, whack them and stack them shows, and there's, there's everything in between, and. um so I don't know. There's a there's a place for everything, and there's a there's a producer for for pretty much all the different types of, of fishing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's and I agree. I think I think it seems like the guests I have on, you know, that are um, do both or at least have learned from both, or, or seems like the, maybe the some of the leaders, right? Because obviously there's a lot of gear fishing tactics that can teach you a lot about fly fishing and, and vice versa. 
Um, so yeah, hey, for sure. One, one question. So I had Flip Pallet on a while back, and I and I don't know the saltwater game. I'm my goal really the next five years or so is to do a lot more saltwater fishing. That's that's kind of do a lot more travel and things like that. But I remember Flip was on, and he had a show. Um, I'm just curious, thinking about your saltwater experience, because you guys did you overlap uh, with what he had going, or was that was that connected? Yeah, no, certainly no connection. Um, but he he had a show called Walker's K Chronicles, which is and probably will always be the gold standard in in outdoor programming. I mean, he 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 produced a remarkably beautiful show with great storytelling, and it was it it is and and will probably remain the gold standard. Like I say, um, so Walker's K was on i was watching that long before we had a before we had a tv show and i don't know when exactly walker's k changed but then flip has had a number of other projects out there um he had one that was all about fishing in the keys and and uh those certainly overlapped with our shows um and we were um you know on tv at the same certainly in in the same times we he was the he was the gold standard and we were the new kid on the block. Yep. That's for sure. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he still does, he still does a lot of TV work, whether it's voiceover work or, or, mm. or other things. I mean, I don't know his career entirely, but he's, he's a, you know, he's a very well-respected, very uh, high quality um, person that people like to, he's a great guest on shows. We've had him on, uh, in addition to saltwater experience, we produce two other shows. One's called into the blue and another one's called sweetwater. It's a bass fishing show. And flip's been a guest on, on the sweetwater show. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he's a legend in the, in the television business and, and, you know, just in the, in the fly fishing business, uh, he's done a, he's done really amazing things. I'm curious on Flip's show because I've watched a few of those and I've, I watched some of yours too. And yours, it's hard for me to tell, you know, I haven't watched probably enough, but yours seems like it's, it's pretty uh, highly produced as well. I mean, what is the big difference between say your show, you know, the saltwater experience and what Flip was doing back in the day? Well, I think what Flip was doing back in the day, I don't know his business model, but when I watch those shows now, there's not a lot of sponsor promotion. He, he had, very few sponsors. And I think he had a different business model. He had a different business model than, than what we have. So if you don't have a responsibility to any sponsors whatsoever, then it, then you fill the the show by telling a great story. And that's one of the things, you know, that can be an advantage and it can be a disadvantage. The advantage is that you can do whatever you want to do. The disadvantage is that if, unless you have a big, uh, donor or someone who's writing a big check or you're writing the big check, if you don't have any sponsors, then the money can be a problem. And so in our show, we walk a fine line between, you know, having sponsors and entertaining people and they can, they can go hand in hand. It, ha- it is a very fine line. You it, too much sponsor promotion and people don't want to watch it too little sponsor promotion and the sponsors don't want to be a part of it. So it has to be kind of um, a, a real balance in how those things are produced. And we, you know, one of the things that, that I've always been um, sure of is that I don't know anything about television production. I didn't know anything when, we, when I first started. Uh, the only reason I got into television was because I, I was uh, in 2000, 
I think, um, yeah, 2000, I was invited to the ESPN Great Outdoor Games because I was working with Scott Fly Rods at the time and helped them to, to develop all their STS rods. And those were really popular at the time. And so they asked all the fly rod companies, like, who would be your person that you would send to the to the great outdoor games and it was kind of the great outdoor games was kind of like the outdoor olympics like mm-hmm. they had fly fishing but they had they had dog events they had target shooting they had timber events and all this stuff it was pretty cool it was in lake placid and uh i was lucky enough to win that first great outdoor games and it was a big deal i mean that was on abc and espn yep. and all these different networks and People saw it, and then after that, I did about 30 guest appearances on other people's shows. Wow. And uh, I was like, well, it really doesn't seem that hard. I was pretty naive because actually going out there and filming the show, it's really not that hard. That's the easiest part of the whole business. Now, I, I came to find out later <laughs> that that's the, that's the easiest part, dragging around, you know, one or two other camera boats and trying to catch a permit on fly or, a, you know, a redfish, you know, tailing or, or something like that. that. That turns out to be the easiest part of the whole, <laughs> the whole business. The hardest part is figuring out how to work the business model so that not only can you get on TV, that's pretty easy, but then staying there year after year after year, that's, that's where... That's where the rubber meets the road, like keeping it going. That is, that's the hardest part of the business. But, um, you know, I didn't know anything about TV. So one thing that I was sure of is that I want to get the best people that we can possibly afford to be working for us, to be producing this show, to tell us what to do, to make sure that the lighting's right, to make sure that we're using the right cameras, to make sure that the edit is good, the music is 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 on on point, and uh, and we lucked into that and have have been working with the same the same guy on Saltwater Experience since the second year of the show. We <laughs> we had a, another person on the first year, and then we we changed and changed networks, made a big change after the first year, and. Um, this guy, Matt McKinnis, Jerry McKinnis's son, um, he grew up in the television business and he just did a phenomenal job. He could produce our show. I mean, there's been so many Saltwater Experience shows that are produced top to bottom by him, one camera. He does the shooting, he does the edit, he does the music, he does everything. Wow. The graphics, everything. One man show. And then as the show started to uh, mature and the budget started to mature a little bit. We added a second cameraman and then we added a professional photographer and then we add a drone pilot and then we add an underwater guy. And then, you know, it, it gets really big and, and you can start adding more and more and more people to this thing until now you don't have one camera boat, you have two camera boats. And then at some point we decided this is getting ridiculous. You know, we need to scale it back to where we can have one boat not two. <laughs> and that's as big as this is going to go. Like, uh, there's no way we're gonna have to make do with, with less. And, uh, so the, you know, the professional photographer, he becomes the drone pilot too. the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, cameraman becomes the underwater guy too. And so people can do two jobs instead of one. And, um, but still every now and then, you know, if, if schedules are, are not working, we will go down there with just Matt McKinnis and, uh, and he'll shoot it top to bottom. And man, it yep. takes longer, but it, it looks good. 
That's cool. But that's, that's, that's been, it's been a big part of any success that we've had is just making sure that we got the right people hired. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Stonefly starts the design process by selecting wood for the handle based on a number of key factors including grain pattern and depth, but they don't stop there. This piece of art is accentuated by strips of hardwood that complement and accentuate the handcrafted handle. To be honest, I have never been a huge net guy, mainly because I didn't feel like my uh, old collapsible net was easiest to use and was not easy on the eye, if you know what I mean. The Stonefly uh, net not only looks beautiful, but has high quality netting that is easy on the fish and will last for years to come. Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that's second to none and can be customized for a little extra touch. For Ethan, the founder of Stonefly Nets, fly fishing has always had a traditional feel going back to fishing the three-weight bamboo rod with his great-grandmother. When Ethan designs a custom net, it's his hope that others will create amazing lasting memories for years to come. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net now. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly, S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y, to get started right now. What's worse than a day with no bites? A day without coffee, or even worse, a day with bad coffee. Thankfully, that isn't the case for us. With more than 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee Team roasts a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. That's why they've released a brand new coffee subscription program made just for you. Just visit anglerscoffee.com, provide your coffee preferences, your mailing address, and how much coffee you drink in a week, and they'll take care of the rest. There's no obligations or hidden fees, just great coffee delivered to your front door. And I've been using and loving Angler's Coffee, and I am a coffee fanatic and have tasted uh, bad coffee for sure. Angler's Coffee is definitely great coffee. I've been enjoying it. Um, it's as good, to be honest with you, it's as good as, as I've had <laughs> that I can remember. And that's pretty awesome saying uh, since I drink a lot of coffee. So uh, join me in supporting a great company who supports great coffee, fly fishing, and conservation. As part of Angler's Conservation Alliance, Angler's Coffee donates a portion of every sale to help conserve and protect our wild natural habitats and fish species. Right now, they're raising money for Soul River, which brings veterans and inner city youth out into the river to teach conservation, fishing skills, and more. Right now, you can get 20% off your first subscription box or gift box. Simply use the code WETFLYSWING at checkout. Just visit anglerscoffee.com and get 20% off your first subscription or gift box using WETFLYSWING at checkout. That's anglerscoffee.com. I keep coming back to the word entertainment because that's something I occasionally talk about. And obviously that's a big part of a show. You, you got to, you know, usually be entertaining. I, how, how have you found, you know, when you go back to your guiding days, back to Yellowstone, it sounds like you started out. Uh, I mean, how did you develop that skill? I mean, did you, is that when you developed it and you kind of brought that or, or did you just become an entertainer as you've been over the years? Um no, no, it's, I'm not an entertainer really, <laughs> honestly, uh, it, by my nature. And, uh, that came from really having some really great mentors and under, and, and understanding the business in a way that comes from generations of 
guides before you. And that starts with Vern Bressler. And, you know, Vern Bressler created a, a relationship with Lee Perkins from Orvis Company and his sons. Yep. And Vern was kind of like one the point man for for a lot of, of what they wanted to do out west. And and he started and ran the Orvis Endorsed Guide program and was responsible for picking who would be on that. And at the beginning, man, it was a rigid process. Like, I mean, you would have to go and talk to him. And he was, like I say, man, at the beginning of this this conversation, we talked about him being a hard ass, but yeah. he he was a hard ass and he demanded quality. And he, like, <laughs> they started the saltwater uh guide program and he goes down you know he's talking to guys like steve huff and rick ruoff and these guys and and i remember hearing the story that that he was like now everybody's gonna have to shave their mustaches and beards <laughs> and uh everything's yeah. clean cut around here and then these guys are like dude no like we're we are the alpha of all alphas and and we're not falling into that program but like that i mean that's what that's how he thought like no no beards, no mustaches. You're clean cut out west. You look like a cowboy, whether you are or you don't. You you show up and you look like a cowboy. They came to Jackson, Wyoming. They expect a cowboy, and you're going to be one. And so you would have to show up at the at the shop with cowboy boots and jeans and a and a button up shirt. And uh, what you know when you got to the river, you could take all that off and have shorts under your jeans and you know tevas and and you could go, you know, look like a fishing guide, but you didn't look like a fishing guide when you brought your customers back to the, to the, uh, to the store. And you didn't sure didn't look like that when you, when you picked them up, you looked nice, like, like really nice. He wanted you to look like a rodeo cowboy more yeah. than a, than a, uh, than a fishing guide. But then, you know, we had an overnight camp there as well. So when you're a fishing guide in a drift boat, you don't know what the other people are doing. Like you can kind of get close to them a little bit and maybe hear a little bit of what's going on. Oh, those, those people are laughing over there. Those people are happy. You know, they're, they're walking around. But, but really where a lot of that came from was seeing how these older guides treated their customers on these overnight trips. Because then you'd, everybody would be out of the boat. There'd be, there'd be four boats down at camp. Each person had two clients. So there's four guides and, and, and eight customers and a camp cook. And that's where you really saw like, oh, like these guys just don't go take off or start drinking beer or something like they're, they're on the clock. They're still, they're still working, like maybe even more so hmm. at camp. And then you started to learn about, you know, the, the, the types of conversations that should be off limits at camp. Like how many did you catch? What did you catch? Uh, how big was your fish? All of that stuff, because that was explained to me right away too, just like, fishing on while you're guiding is, you know, if you come back to camp and somebody worked really hard and they caught three fish and they've never caught a fish before in their entire life. And you walk in and you're like, man, the fishing was amazing. We caught 60. Well, all of a sudden this day that they thought was amazing is all of a sudden really not very good. Hmm. And that ruins the whole experience for them. So we were all very, we were taught to be very cautious about, you know, what you said. How, how'd you guys do today? Oh, well, we, we had a wonderful day. We had this amazing lunch. It was fantastic. You found something else to talk about. Huh. And then you would ask them about their day and they could tell you how they did, but you never told them how you did. 
And, and then that kind of through the guide schools too, uh, after doing the first guide school myself, then, then I was asked to be an instructor in the guide school and Joe would bring in all of these different people, whether that was like a, a psychologist or a geologist or a, uh, you know, somebody that knew about meteorology and they would give us all this stuff. They'd take a float down the river and they'd show us all these different uh, rock formations and yep. give us a brief kind of uh, understanding of how they were formed. So you could tell your clients that you would have somebody that knew about birds would come in and they would tell you about the different migratory birds that would come through and which yep. ones to watch for and the ones that people would want on their life list. And, and, and it just became real, real clear that like, it really doesn't matter how many fish we catch or, 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 that's certainly going to be a part of this, but what is a part, what is the biggest part of this is that you bring, you, you have someone in your care and they have the best day that they could ever imagine. And they just, when they leave, they couldn't imagine not coming back here next year and doing the same thing again. And this becoming, and you would have it, you would see it with a family trip. Like the, the mom and dad would go in one boat and the kids would go in another boat. And at lunch, they would all show up and everybody's having the best time. And it had very little to do with fishing. Like some people might have caught one or two fish and then they walked on this gravel bar and they saw an eagle's nest and they, they just had this amazing day. And, you know, that became real clear to me that, you know, it's, it's really about the experience. And then, then to take it to the next level, if you can give them that experience and then you can also show them fish that they never dreamed that they were going to catch in their, in their whole life and show them how they could do that with no help from you other than, than the words that you choose to speak. That's what guiding is all about is, is showing, helping someone do something that they're, they would, they would have no possibility of doing on their own. And just through the words that you speak, not only are you, getting them this trophy fish that they, that they want. But then in addition to that, they're having the time of their life and everyone that they brought is having the time of their life. That's the definition of a great trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I love, I love that you dug into that. And I have a little bit of experience on those river trips and guiding. And I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work and that, that is the challenge is how do you make sure that, uh, even when the fishing's slow, that they're having a great trip and you just clarified, you know, how you do it. You basically teach them. <laughs> they, they learn a lot. Uh, you know, it's interesting too. I love the saltwater. You mentioned experience because you know, I bring it back to that, the saltwater experience. That's a good, a good title. The experience I think of like Joe Rogan, right? The Joe Rogan experience, the uh, Jimi Hendrix, ex, uh, Jimi Hendrix experience. Yeah. It's a good word. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure how you came up with that name, but you know, I, I just thinking about this show where we're at. I mean, we're not going to have time to dig into a lot of the maybe some of the education educational stuff on saltwater fishing. We could maybe leave that for another one. But I really am curious about your podcast because the Tom Rowland podcast. I you know I've been listening to it a little bit, and it's really um, you know it's a little different than your normal. Um, I guess maybe it's because it's personal branded for you, but you've got a little bit on like uh, fitness. You got a little bit on. Uh, education. You got a little bit on, um, you know, guest interviews. What would you, how would you explain mm -hmm. that podcast? Like what you do there to somebody new? I think it's, um, I think it's everything that I'm interested in. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, fishing is the underlying theme and that is, that is, you know, what I'm the most interested in, but I also like hunting and, and I've had some, you know, as 
Yeah, I'm a parent of three. Um, been married for 25 years, and I own different businesses. So I'm interested in entrepreneurship. I'm interested in leadership. I'm interested in being the best father and husband that I can be. And there are tremendous examples out there for for me to read their books or listen to their podcast or whatever and and get them on and ask them questions that I don't think are addressed in their in their books. Um, fitness has been a huge, huge thing in my uh, in my fishing career. I could never have had the longevity or been able to do as many days. I mean, Key West and Jackson are two of the most expensive places that you can live in this country. And for you to make a living as a fishing guide in those two places, you got to work every day that, I mean, I did. I don't know how other people do it. I, I had to work every day. Hmm. And I was doing over 300 days a year for wow. 10 years Jeez. in Key West. And when I first got there, I couldn't do three days in a row. I mean, the sun was strong. I, I, I didn't know how to pull a boat. It's windy. It's physically demanding. And it, I just kind of, as a young person there, just didn't really understand how to take care of myself. I, didn't, I wasn't drinking enough water. I wasn't wearing sunscreen enough. I wasn't wearing protective clothing. Like I was just getting beat up by the sun, by the wind, by by being dehydrated, not eating properly. And as other people around me are able to go seven, eight, 10 days in a row. And I was amazed by that. And I was like, well, man, I think, you know, I was an athlete growing up. I knew, you know, I know how to get in shape. I know how to take care of my body, but I just wasn't doing it. And uh, I cleared, cleared all that up and um, started running, started getting in much better shape started wearing pants and long sleeve shirts instead of shorts and a t-shirt, um, wearing a buff on my face. That was a, a huge thing uh, to, to get the sun off of me. And all of a sudden, I was able to go the 10 days, the 12 days, the, the 15 days, and eventually uh, went 175 days without, without taking a single day off wow. in Key West. And all of that comes from taking care of my body and being aware of what's going on, getting enough, getting as much sleep as I possibly could. When you're running that kind of schedule, you don't get much sleep anyway, but just no unnecessary time. You know, you spend time with your family, you go to sleep and you wake up and you, you know, get on the water and you're trying to raise kids and do all this, but you still need to eat properly. You still need to sleep properly and you still need to drink plenty of water and stay out of the sun as much as, as much as you possibly can. So, Every little step I took towards being in better shape meant more money in my pocket. It meant that I could actually live this dream life that I wanted to. I wanted to be a fishing guide for a living. And, you know, when you're physically not capable of doing that because there just aren't enough days in the month or, or you can't work enough days in the month to make ends meet, you know, it, I, I don't know when I saw that it was, this is a physical thing that I can get in better shape and I can do. It wasn't a problem with booking the trips. There were plenty of people that wanted to go. It was a problem with being physically able to take them without needing a day off. And uh, <laughs> so fitness has been a real big part of me, I, I, of, of my career and just understanding that 
a lot of people know a lot more about fitness than I do. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can t- pick and choose from, from the different things and people that are out there and opinions and techniques and all different kinds of things about how you can take care of your body and, and therefore be able to do the things that you want to do, whether, you know, that's being the fishing guy that works 175 days in a row or, or being the dad that doesn't have to tell their kid they can't run up that hill with them. Yeah. You know, because their knee hurts or because because they're too tired or or anything like that. So yep. I, I really I have a fitness part of the of the show, Fitness Physical Friday, where we address something physical every Friday. And it's usually something very simple, take home information that somebody could apply today. That's that's the idea. Um and then the then the Wednesday's a long form uh conversation kind of like we're having now and and Tuesday is a how to Tuesday and that how to Tuesday can be mostly fishing techniques but it can be um hunting it could be anything anything you're trying to learn how to do I'll either tell them how to do it myself if I have experience there or I'll bring on a guest that knows way more than I do yep yeah no and I've I've listened to a few of those episodes and you do a good job you know I think that's always the thing with the host is how do you you know, how do you become a good host? And I think the first part is you have to be interested in the topic. You know, that's the number one thing. Like here you're talking about fitness. That's the and, most. Yeah. That, that's the biggest thing. And and you're talking about uh, fitness, which maybe some people listening don't care as much about it, but I'm really interested in it because it's been a big struggle for me. Um, you know, even now I'm taking a little bit of like an alcohol break challenge and, uh, you know, I'm not like a huge drinker, but I definitely love a good IPA in the evening after fishing and stuff. But yeah, man, I've noticed just a break of a week. It, like it's amazing, you know, just stopping doing something that's not good for you and, and seeing what your, how your body reacts. I can imagine, you know, in fitness is the same way. I, I'd love to hear, dig into, you know, maybe just to scratch my own itch. Like you don't have all these little tips. I know one you had like on these jump ropes that are a buck 50 you can get that you can take. Can you give us a little, maybe like a top 10 on the go fitness activities somebody can do? That, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have, I have one thing that, that has been really incredibly helpful to me and and I travel a lot and I don't like to be away from a workout and I and and you know I've tried my share of hotel gyms they're they're you yeah. know mostly the treadmills are broken yeah, or something's wrong so I, at some point I just had to try to figure out like I need a couple of things that I could do anywhere and I came across one that has served me incredibly well and and all it takes is a deck of cards and the deck of cards workout is the best thing that i have had in the last 25 years because Mm. i can put i have a deck of cards in every travel bag that i have i have one in every vehicle that i might drive i'm not going to be without a deck of cards and the deck of cards workout is very simple there are four suits in a deck of cards there are two jokers generally in a deck of cards. There's two through 10 numbered cards. And then there are uh, Jack, King, Queen, and Ace. So what I will do is I'll take um, a suit, say spades, and I will assign an exercise. It could be any exercise you want. Burpees, push-ups, squats, sit-ups, anything you want. Let's just take those. Burpees, burpees push-ups, squats, and sit-ups. So the spades are going to be burpees. If I turn over a two of spades, I'm going to do two burpees. Face cards equal 10. Aces equal 11. 
If I turn over an ace of spades, I'm going to do 11 burpees. If, if you're not ready for that, aces can be 11 or 1. Base cards can be 10 or 1. And, and you can really scale the deck greatly like that. So if I turn over a 10 of spades, I'm going to do 10 burpees. I'll assign the push-ups will be clubs. So if I turn over a five of clubs, I'll do five push-ups. If I, then the hearts will be sit-ups. If I turn over a eight of hearts, eight sit-ups. Uh, ace, of, uh, uh, ace of hearts would be 11 sit-ups. And then um, diamonds would be squats. And so you have a five of diamonds, you do five squats. And then for the joker, whatever's available. If I'm at a hotel somewhere and it's got a pretty good sized parking lot, I'll say, okay, if I pull the joke, the first joker, I'll, do, I'll run a lap around the parking lot. <laughs> if, uh, if there's a pull-up bar somewhere or something I can do pull-ups on the next one, will, the next joker will be, you know, 20 pull-ups. If, if I don't have that, I'll do a hundred flutter kicks or something like that. You shuffle up the deck, you do what it tells you. There's no thinking and you just, do whatever the deck tells you. It takes about 30 minutes. Hmm. You get a great workout. I've done that workout in every country that I've ever traveled to. I could do it in a prison cell. I can do it in a hotel room. I can do it everywhere. And I do. I do it all the time because I know with that one little deck of cards, I can get my workout and it'll be different every single time. Um, you shuffle up the cards and it will be different. You'll do a whole bunch of burpees all at once and then you know, maybe not until the end of the deck will you do it. And no time, no one time will be the same as another. And then you can change exercises, put in anything else, anything. And, uh, and, and you can do the deck of cards. But that particular thing has, is a gift that I give people. Like, yep. let me show you how to do this. And then for, you'll forever have it. And you can, you can use it with any exercises that you like. Doesn't have to be the ones that I like. Yeah. Anything that you want, you can you can use this deck of cards, and you know I'll just put it on the on the nightstand table at the hotel, and I get up, my clothes are laid out, and I walk right out the door. It's the first thing I do in the morning. That's awesome. And uh, you know that whether that is it, you know, if if we're leaving, if the whole crew's leaving the dock at six thirty, then I'm getting up at four, and um, it's just the way I start the day. Yeah, and it's a good way to do um, it. But that deck of cards workout, I mean that. That is the single thing that I could I could give anybody and and feel feel like you just gave them like a real gift. No gym needed, no equipment needed, no thinking needed. Just just all you need to do is know about you know four four six eight exercises and apply them to that deck of cards, and it'll be different every time you use it. Nice, nice. No, that's awesome. I'll put a link to obviously everything we're talking about here um, today. Um, maybe you could just take us out here at a quick uh, little rapid fire round. Um, I've got, sure. we're probably not going to dig into deep into the saltwater fishing, but maybe if, uh, if we think about permit, maybe we, I've got a little segment, just the, the 222 top two tips, top two flies, top two res resources for permit. But before we get there, I uh, just want to go back to your podcast again. So the Tom Rowland podcast, I'm just curious, you know, do you know what episode was your most uh, viewed or one of your biggest episodes out there? <laughs> um, yeah, most viewed is I, I've done some with these sailing people. SV Delos has got the biggest YouTube sailing channel. I, I just think it's kind of cool. I like these stories of people quitting their job and pursuing their passion, no matter what that is. I don't really know anything about sailing. 
but I think that their story is very similar to many fishing guides that I know, many hunting people that I know that have really bucked the trend and and decided that they just can't sit in a cubicle and they've just, you know, anything's got to be better than this, that as long as they're following their passion and they, you know, I've had, I've done three or four with these sailing people. Mm -hmm. Uh, theirs has done the best probably on YouTube, but then I did one with Mark the shark, who is a very controversial character in, in South Florida. Mm. He, uh, he, he, he's, he's a very interesting guy. He kills a lot of sharks. Oh, and he, uh, so he gets a lot of heat for that. So I, I went right to him and asked him why he was doing that. And, you know, I was quite surprised at his answers. He was straight up. He, he pulls no punches and, and he's a very, very, very interesting guy. And that one, that one has been probably the most listened to for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I'll put a, I'll put a link out to that. What I, we don't have a lot of controversial episodes here. I try to keep it, you know, just, um, yeah. I mean, I don't either, but, but this guy just gets so much heat. And then I looked into it and it's like, okay, well he, he kills all these sharks, but he also tags more sharks than anyone on the planet. He also, you know, he kills a sailfish now and then, but he hates tournament fishing and, and he, he, um, when he does kill these sharks, he takes them to the homeless shelter. And I'm like this, and, yeah. and, and he's just this, seems like this grumpy old cuss, but then he's also a parent and, and he's just a wonderful loving dad yeah. to his little kids. And I'm like, this guy is like, got many layers he's and I got to figure out what they are. Well, I don't know if he's a bad guy. When I went there, I was like, I don't know if this is a, if this guy's a bad guy. I don't know if he's a good guy. What was your take home now after the interview without, you know, what, what is, is he? I, man, I thought, listen, I thought he was a great guy. I really yeah. did. I thought he was, I thought he, he didn't, he didn't pull any punches. He, he stood, he, he owned everything that he does. Everything. He kills sharks because he loves turtles and he thinks that there are too many sharks. Right. And, um, you know, that, that bucks the trend of what you hear, you know, worldwide, that there's this lack of sharks in the world. But I'm telling you what, man, you come fish in Miami and, and down in the Keys, there are more sharks than there's ever yeah. been. And I tend to agree with him there. And then I, everything that he says, I may not agree with it, but I agree with the way that he does it. He owns it. Like, that's that's yep. his mountain that he's willing to die on. And you got to respect that out yeah. of people. Like you may not like what they do. And then I, I kind of like that podcast a lot because at the end of the day, we disagreed on a number of things, but I can still sit there and talk to him and understand where he's coming from. He can understand where I'm coming from. He can understand where the people that are giving him all this problem are coming from, but that's what he believes. And that's what he's going to do. That's cool. That's cool. That's I, missing in our, that's missing right now. That's like, what I was going to say. The political stuff that we just went through. Yep. Like people are just not willing to have this conversation with somebody that they don't agree with. No. And no. for that reason, I thought that was a really good podcast. Yeah. Like that's cool. We, we, I like him. I mean, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I am excited to uh, listen to that one. I think the 
I think that's the power of the podcasting is that, you know, everybody right now can go over and listen to that and they can just listen to you guys talk and it's not, there's no snippets, there's no sound bites, it's not political, it's just YouTube talking, right? I mean, right. That's, that's the amazing, that's right. why podcasting that's exactly is so powerful. Right. Yeah, that's why it's an amazing uh, thing. I, I agree going. with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, cool. Well, uh, got it. I just lost my train. I thought I was going <laughs> to ask you another one. Rapid fire. Yeah, exactly. Rapid fire. So, so I guess let's keep the rap, rapid fire going. So, the biggest, uh, you know, we, that's one episode that was a big one. What about, like, a, a challenge? What, what, has there been an episode that's been really challenging for you? Or was that one? Or was it, was there another one? Um, the most challenging, <laughs> I guess... Well, other than than this one today, where where you threw me a loop for, I had my whole setup, and then and then it was technically challenging because I usually have somebody that that helps me, but I sure didn't I didn't have it today. So yep. that one was that one was a little bit challenging. <laughs> nice. uh, the most challenging probably was was um, I would think um, I had the, the 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 guitarist for Iron Maiden. Oh wow! Who is uh, Adrian Smith, and uh, he's a fisherman. He's a great fisherman, and uh, he, all the while, while he was touring with Iron Maiden, he was he was fishing for anything that he could find. And uh, I found that one challenging because I like Iron Maiden, and I was like, "Damn, I'm talking to Adrian Smith. Like this guy is like one of the greatest guitarists of all time." And I was a little starstruck, mm -hmm. uh, quite honestly. And, uh, and then I was supposed to have 30 minutes with him and I only had 10. So I oh, was wow. like, Oh damn. damn. Like what questions am I going to ask him? Yeah. And, uh, he was super cool, man. He was super cool. I really liked him and it showed through, he wrote, he just wrote a book and, um, it was called monsters of rock and river or something like that, or river and rock. And, uh, it talks about mostly 70% fishing, uh, how much he loves fishing and all these different fishing trips that he took before, after, and during touring with Iron Maiden. And, uh, you know, everybody else would go to these parties and he would go to the river. And uh, he went to his share of parties too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, but, uh, you know, That's Iron cool. Maiden in the 80s, I mean, I don't know if you know much about that culture yeah. but damn dude that was that was some wild times i wasn't a big uh i'll put a link to a nice iron maiden maiden video in the in the show notes but i wasn't a huge uh, like metal head i was more into other stuff but i obviously know yeah all yeah. those bands well i wasn't i wasn't a, an iron maiden fan growing up but then later in life i was like hey you know i kind of like this you know and and I, I wouldn't say that i'm the biggest fan but that's the biggest star that I've I've had, and I've had some other, yeah, you know, people that I was a little bit starstruck from, but not like they were more of my fishing heroes, like what's a, Bill Dance. Oh yeah, totally. What, what's a uh, what's an Iron Maiden? Um, is there one song I can't even think of like a headline song that they had? Was there one that everybody would know. Yeah, they all they all kind of sound the same. Yeah, they all sound the same. That's the thing. Um, they, you know, it's not like it's not like Kiss uh, where I want to rock and roll. You know, all night is like everybody knows that. Yeah, one. I mean Iron Maiden is like they just. Run, I don't run, know. I look it up on I look shred. it up on Spotify. Their shred. number one song is "Run to the Hills." Um, okay, "Run to the Hills." Run to the Hills. Run to the Hills. Cool. No, yeah. I hear where you're coming from, Tom, because. 
uh, on my other podcasts, especially I've interviewed, I mean, I just interviewed Jay Abraham, who's like a billionaire investor, you know, like a business strategist and coach. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was a little starstruck with him as well, but I also had a guy named Steve Sims on that podcast who is, he's the guy, he's, he's basically the guy that gets stuff done for, you know, billionaire people as well. And he talked about how he was setting up Elton John's, um, like, uh, Oscar parties for like 10 years. And, uh, and he just talked, he talked about how like Elton and everybody from the straight up, he's just like an old school guy. He just called him first name. Like he didn't blow it out of proportion. He just said, Hey Elton, you know, what do you need? So I think these people, you know, like, I mean, you're kind of becoming one of these bigger in our space, right? Your name is known, but I think people just like to hear their, them as humans, right. As opposed to some star, right. Which is everybody looks at these people, you know, and, and, and you're kind of the same. You're Tom Rowland. We're just talking to you. And now people hear your story. Um, you know, and people probably didn't know you be, or some people didn't know you before. So anyways, I, I love uh, this I don't stuff. Know. I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's probably a big difference between, uh, the, the lead guitarist of Iron Maiden and, and, and me. I mean, the only way that I'd made any name for myself was being on TV. But the only reason for that is just uh, being a fishing guide. I mean, a fishing yeah. guide is certainly no star. That's like your, your most regular kind of person there is like you, you, you deal with everyone. You can right. communicate with who, whomever shows up on your boat, and uh, I don't. I don't know. Like fishing guides are are interesting people. Yeah, I think people do see it kind of as a star. Like you think of those people out there. You know, some of the big names around. Um, you know, fly fishing and fishing industry. And I don't know the other the other end of the conventional side as well. Uh, but like bass, that's a good example, right? I mean, I'm sure those bass anglers in those competitive tournaments, those guys are kind oh of yeah, like all stars, right? For sure, and yeah. then the guy like Bill Dance. I mean, I was I was pretty starstruck by him. I mean, he's been kind of a mentor to me, and and been always been very nice. And, and but but sitting down with him and having him, you know, tell his story of how he got into the television business, and then from there forward, was uh, that was a that was a really cool moment in my career. Like, and that was when I was just getting the podcast started. I didn't know like where it was going or what I was going to do with it, but I knew that I wanted him on it, and. uh and he was gracious and he was like, sure, come over. I'll spend as much time with you as you want. And nice. uh, that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> that is really cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's keep this, uh, let's wrap it up out of here with the 222, which is, uh, and we mentioned at the start off here, we talked about permit. So maybe just give us your top two. And I don't know, would you rather, do you have a few fly fishing tips you'd want to break out? Did you, and you've guided fly fishing for kind of all species and conventional? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, started my career fly fishing and then for the first seven years in Key West, I didn't even have a spinning rod. But then after that, I had to get into the, uh, into the tournament world and realize pretty quickly that you're not winning with a fly rod, not when somebody else has got bait and a spinning rod. And then I realized, then I realized, man, those guys are really good at that. Like, and, and there is a lot of skill that goes into the spin fishing and, and bait fishing and, and and it was a world changer but yeah. i think of i think of fly fishing as a it's a tool it's a yeah. it's and as as i've kind of uh progressed from freshwater to saltwater and and inshore to offshore you know there's there's lots of different tools and yeah. uh and fly fishing's one part of of being a complete angler in my opinion and exactly. uh, i love fly fishing I, I really do and it's it is the basis of my fishing but I do a lot of other kind of fishing as well. Yeah. 
That's cool. What what are your if you had to say your your two fly what you know for for permit what are your two you know do you have a couple flies you'd throw out there? It's really only it's really only one the uh, the Merkin you know yeah. Del Brown created the fly that created the sport and um, now today you have very um, you have different flies some are some are a little bit more effective than a than a you know nineteen ninety two Merkin yeah. but. Yeah, honestly, they're Same not thing. that much different, and they have some like plastic claws and stuff that look really good and and stuff like that. But yep. yeah, people are catching a few more permits than Del Brown, but there hasn't been a fly that's been created that has revolutionized the sport. You know, like you used to go out and you'd, it'd be good to catch catch five in a week. It's still good to catch five in a week. Yep. And nobody's created a fly where all of a sudden you know people are routinely catching thirty. Hmm. And and, and it's all because of the fly. Like every one I threw it to ate it. And you've seen that in other types of fishing, like bone fishing can, you know, just imagine that everybody was trying to catch bonefish on dry flies. And then someone puts a, a Charlie on the, on the bottom and moves it and the bonefish pounces on it. Well, that's a lot better. <laughs> you know, right. like all of a sudden now you go from catching a couple to catching 50 and, uh, and, and that's a revolution. I don't think that we've certainly the flies are getting better, but not, not revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hopefully, hopefully there'll be some. Do you see on the conventional side, are guys out there just ham, you know, getting into a lot more fish on for permit? Um, you, you definitely catch, you definitely catch more, but permits are hard fish to catch. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a hard fish to catch and you got to do it right with a crab, just like you got to do it right with a fly. Uh, the, the trick is the difference is, is that when you do it right with a crab, they they eat it if the crab is nice and lively and presented well. That's what's wrong with flies is that they don't look like they're alive. And I can throw a dead crab at hundreds of permit and get refused just as often as I get refused with a with a fly. They just don't look like they're alive, and they much 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 prefer a live crab. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the evolution of where we need to go with fly design is not not more realistic looking. They look you can't tell the difference between a, a one of these artistically perfectly tied flies and a and a crab. Hmm. I mean, they look the same. It's they don't act the same. Yeah. And that's that's going to be the difference. Like when you can get those legs kicking and moving, and and they even have a clicking sound. Like when you have a crab that yeah. that is really going, it has a clicking sound, and they hear that, and when they see it, they pounce on it. I mean, it, it's it's they're aggressive about it, and you know when they eat a fly, they it kind of sip it like a like a trout in a river. You know, it's kind of like eh, here's one. Yep. I'll I'll I guess I'll eat that. <laughs> Um, I mean, sometimes you can get the, sometimes you can pull that out of them to where they yeah. eat it like they ate a live crab, but I don't, you know, it's, yep. I, I just Checking don't think we're out. there with, with the fly design yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, what about a couple of you, any tips come to mind if you're out there, you know, trying to get into them? Have you seen any six, anything that, that has helped you guys out there? Uh, the, the tip is to get the best guide possible. Yeah. That's how do you do that? That best guide. <laughs> well, you 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 get into the inner workings of the sport and you ask around and you talk to people and you go with somebody that is not just like he 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 fishes in Key West or yep. or he fishes in an area where there are a lot of permit. Right. Who's the guy? Yep. Like because there's a difference. There is a difference between the guy that 
you know, a Nathaniel Linville or a Brandon Sear and a Simon Becker or, uh, you know, uh, Marshall Cutchin or, or any yep. of these guys that were just remarkable. And the other ones that catch a couple, like it, you know, it, you can catch them, you know, if you just kind of casually go after them, but there are people that go after them that it's what their life is around. Their life is built around it. And they are doing everything that they can possibly do to um, increase their chances by 1%. And those 1%, they add up and they end up catching a lot more in the course of a year. And your best thing that you could do is get with one of those people if you can book them and it probably have to book them way in advance um, and learn from them and, you know, just try to keep booking them because yep. the ones that catch them are, are, are really good at what they do. But even the guys that are really, really the best at it still don't catch that many. Yeah. Not like tarpon, not like bonefish, no. not like snook or redfish. Yeah. Like the numbers are, the numbers are, are huh. lower. And, you know, you have to kind of understand that. But I, I also believe, you know, and this might be a little controversial for your audience, but I truly believe that if you are really interested in permit fishing, that you should definitely catch some on crabs and you'll learn way more about that fish. And you're also not going to be scared of it. Most people that I've, that I've guided for permit are terrified of the fish. They 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 they've put it up on this giant pedestal oh. where they think that it's the most impossible fish to catch, and you know what? It is. When you do that, their knees are knocking. They can <laughs> they can throw it in a teacup in their backyard, but they can't get it out of the boat because they've they've intimidated themselves. And I truly believe that if you went out there and you 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 learned how to throw a spinning rod, that's another thing for fly fishermen. Most of them aren't able to throw a spinning rod well enough to catch one on a crab. You need to be super accurate and you need to be very good with it. And it takes some practice. And, you know, most people want to shortcut that process and just catch them on fly. But yep. I'm here to tell you that if you caught two or three on a crab, you would catch one on a fly much faster. Yeah, because you would not be afraid of the fish anymore. You would be calm. You would have an idea of what to expect when the fish bites it. And most people that catch their first permit on fly haven't seen one caught before. Like yeah. it's the first time. And if you had seen, you know, 20, 10, 15, one, anything caught before, you wouldn't be so scared. And you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have this fish put on a pedestal. A permit doesn't need to be put on this pedestal. It's a hard fish to catch, but it's not the hardest fish to catch. Are there any other fish that are close to as hard to catch out in salt as a permit? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, like something big, like a like a hammerhead shark on oh, fly. Right. I mean, if you're using IGFA tackle, yeah. If, if you know a hammerhead shark has a mouth that's way underneath it, you can use a 12 inch shock tippet. And, and it's going to rub on your leader almost every time. So unless you get it hooked just perfect or you somehow hook it in the hammer, that's going to be a very hard fish to, to, to land. It's also a very hard fish to get to eat your fly. And, and the, the, I mean, there are far fewer people that have caught a hammerhead, a big hammerhead on fly than have caught a permit on fly. But, you know, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's lots, you know, that, but each fish, each fish has kind of its, its day right? Like the weather conditions are perfect. It, it takes a fish that's generally really, really, really hard to catch. And it makes it much easier to catch because it's doing something that is, that, that allows it to be either 
right on the surface or allows you to present a fly to it in a way that maybe would be impossible on a different day. Um, and, and that's the day. And so therefore that's why few people catch permit because I mean, there are days when, you know, I would go out there with, with somebody that was phenomenal. He was a great fly caster. He'd been all over the world looking for permit and he didn't catch one all week. And then two days later, you get somebody that is, is out there. You don't have any crabs in the boat, but you have a fly rod in the boat and you teach them how to fly fish and they catch a permit on fly. Yeah. And, and it's because of that day they're chewing. They are, they are on. And if that other guy had been there, he'd have caught five. And, and it's, you know, so much of it is the day that you're out there. And that lends itself to a local that lends itself to somebody that lives there and that can fish on the, on the right days and doesn't have to fish on the, other days when you're a tourist and you come in you're fishing on whatever days you got booked and those might be good days and they might not be good days it doesn't mean you can't catch one but it does mean that a lot of times it's more difficult than it might have been if you could have been there last week or next week or next month yep yep no that's that's good good advice uh well take us out so i guess on the resources is there and i'm looking at your tv you know your channel and everything you have going is there if we wanted to dig more into permit, is there a like a cha- uh, a show or a channel or an episode you would direct something yeah. to? I got a whole bunch. I did uh, I did two series on permit. One oh, cool. that uh, I did by myself on the podcast, which was pretty much A to Z how to how to select the guides, how to nice. fly fish for them, how to spin fish for them, and you know, seasons and tides and everything that you're looking for. Then I did another one. I did another how to Tuesday kind of episode with Brandon Sear where we really went deep. And Brandon is, is one of the top young guides in Key West. He's catching a lot of them and uh, he had a lot of interesting things to say. I would definitely highly suggest that one. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So that, that that makes it easy. I don't have to. We don't even have to dig into. It. I can just point them over to your stuff. So that's uh, you know. Well, yeah. I, I would have if we would have had more time today. We would have dug into more of it. But um, I think I feel pretty good about you know what we've dug into here. Uh, I'm just curious in the next you know kind of six months to a year. Anything changed? Anything new? You want to give a shout out to coming up with what you have going? Um, you know, I'm just really going to put the pedal to the metal on the podcast. I think that that's where. That's the biggest opportunity for growth. Um, and, uh, you know, Waypoint's doing really well. It's something that I'm not really on the day-to-day as much as I once was, but um, it's, it's doing really, really well. And, um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good opportunities right now with, uh, with Saltwater Experience and the podcast and, and just kind of extending, you know, that, that out there a little bit more and yeah. doing some doing some really neat things once we uh once we get back to being able to see each other in person and and uh not worry about all this covid exactly yes that's right yeah we got to get get out of this covid here hopefully this this year we'll move out of it um so no that that sounds like a, a good thing and you podcast i mean right now you're doing it three times a week right yep three three episodes a week are you thinking pedal is about pedal of the metal does that mean you're going to be doing a daily podcast eventually <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I did a daily kind of thing when, when we were in lockdown. Oh, you did? Um, I, I don't, I don't think that I'm interested in necessarily doing that as much yeah. as just really, um, stretching myself with getting some, some better and different, well, not better, but just maybe w- more well-known guests. 
Um, and then also hopefully being able to go and spend a day with these people and uh, get a lot of video assets All from right. that. Maybe even do some sort of little 10 minute little show as well as the podcast and kind of, yep. you know, just spend more time with them and get people, allow people to know these people a little better. Like what, whatever it was that brought me to want to interview them, I'd like for other people to be able to see that instead of just hear it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's exactly how, you know, I'm thinking about what brought me to you. I think we talked about a lot of it, you know, the, it's really interesting how you created what you've created. So, um, cool. Well, I'll let you get out of here. I uh, just want to thank you for coming on and, uh, and sharing the, the background and the stories of how you built hey. this thing. And it's been fun. And thank you. Thank you for having me. I'd love to do it again. I'd love to have you on mine too. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes of all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 184. Uh, if you've been recently enjoying the show, could you share it, please? Uh, if you can, just uh, click in your app of choice, click share. This is our best way to get the word out and find new listeners and help some other people, um, you know, up their game and helps us grow the show. So I appreciate that in advance. Uh, I guess that's all we have for you today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon. Hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.